Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey everybody, just a quick note before I begin the episode. I want to apologize that the Underworld episode did not come out on time, and I'm working very hard to make sure that the next episode following this one will be the Underworld episode. So please stay tuned, uh, and uh, it should be out relatively soon. With all that said, uh, if you have anything that you would like me to review, or you have any suggestions for future episodes, you can always send me a message on Twitter, uh, T underscore T underscore podcast, or shoot me something at uh, the podcast email, terribleterrorpodcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, I'd like you guys to come and check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash terribleterrorpodcast. Trying to build that just a little bit, as well as adding an Instagram account. I know, you're saying to yourself, Terrible Terror, why? Why have an Instagram account? Well, no, why not? So you can follow Terrible Terror Podcast uh, on Instagram. That's at Terrible Terror Podcast as well. Well, without further ado, on with the show. It's time to turn the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. So, if you've made a movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please, send it my way. Now... What do you get when you have yet another guest on your podcast? Why, you get the terrible interview. Hey everybody, and welcome to a bonus episode for the Terrible Terror Podcast. This week, uh, I'm talking to, well, uh, is Dave the right name that I should be calling you, or do you prefer to be called Phantom Dave or... How should I address you? <laughs> Whatever works best. Uh, on Twitter, I'm known as Phantom Dark Dave, so that will work great for me. But uh, for Dave, for short, is fine. Okay, Dave. Well, uh, you are a horror writer, correct? Uh, yes, sir. And right now, just an indie horror writer, but we'll see where that takes me. That's actually really cool. What kind of brought you into the whole realm of horror and writing in this this genre? Uh, my whole life, I've been obsessed with film, and of course, it really became an obsession when it was with horror movies. And um, recently, I heard it described as similar to it's like a bug. You know, once you get bit by the bug, you got it and you can't shake it. And that's kind of the way that undesirable love is for horror. And so, as any horror lover knows, it, you scramble to find a really good horror movie. And it got to the point where my passion built up so much. I just started writing movies I would want to see. So do you do both styles and mediums? Because I noticed that with that short film Scars, you were credited as the writer, but there was still somebody that transcribed the screenplay for it. So do you do work in both realms? 
Ah, uh, well, what what it is is I I have this mentality because I'm not a big reader. I, I read some things, but it's like a known thing that writers are also readers, and that's not true in my case. And so <laughs> the, the way writing has developed for me is I try to target an audience that maybe typically doesn't read. So I really enjoy writing short stories. I'm kind of consider myself like um, an idea man, somebody that can pitch. I can write out a beginning, a middle, an end, give you a plot point twist, and really just captify an audience. So my writing, believe it or not, actually started with just dark poetry because I figured out people like to read lyrics um, you know, to music. So if I could write poetry – but make it where it tells a story, I might be able to captivate more of an audience. You know, you get to reading and you're rhyming and, you know, you you start going, wow, that's really cool how he conjured up that verse with that verse. And it got to the point where I was like, you know, I'm going to try to adapt these um, into something that could be made into a short film, something definitely believable, um, you know, especially with a lower budget. And one of my most favorite things to do is the aspect of psychological horror. Um, I love to, to be able to, to bring characters together and throw in a twist that makes the viewer just want to beat themselves up because, you know, they, they, they feel like that it's in front of them the whole time and they should have seen it coming. And I feel like that's something I was able to provide in, uh, the recent film scars. Yeah. I, I noticed, and I actually had a couple questions about that. Uh, cause, uh, oh, the only issue that I have with the film was a little bit about kind of the, the dark half. In, in kind of understanding where he was coming from, um, I I like the way that it kind of presented both halves to what her experience was uh, in the two different characters. But when it came to the other side, I couldn't quite get a grasp on it. Uh, I thought the themes were really good. Um, of course, this is you know low budget and it's actually right up my alley in terms of what I really enjoy in horror. Um, but it's it was very like the story outside of the just the the acting everything i thought was really interesting and i thought it had a a a deeper meaning that maybe i couldn't quite get and maybe that's something that you could talk about well there's two versions to it right so when i originally sat down and wrote the idea for scars it was actually called a solution to sadness that is the kind of skeleton story, as, it's, as it is uh, often referred to, where I wrote it out and I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I didn't focus too much on unnecessary you know, plot points and conversations on it because I kind of intended to put the film together myself. Um, and it just kind of got to a point where I decided, you know, I, I really don't want to invest what it takes into making the film because as I'm making a film, I feel like I could be writing another film. And so what happened was I wrote out this, this beautiful story called a solution to sadness. And I ended up hopping on Twitter. I've only been on Twitter like three months now, um, just with the purpose of trying to promote and and to kind of reach out to some podcasts and some other, uh, fellow filmmakers. And, uh, I ended up meeting D McCulley, the guy who directed the movie, and, you know, we got to talking and, I was, you know, I, of course, I threw myself out there. I was like, hey, you know, you're a director. I'm a writer. Um, you know, we should we should work on something. And he's like, all right, well, send me something. And so I sent him the uh, the story I wrote, Solution to Sadness. And, you know, he's like, oh, really cool. What else you got? And then I was like, oh, OK. So I started to send him something else. And he actually got back to me. He's like, you know what? Hold on. And he started having his own visions with it. So the movie you see 
is based on a story I wrote, but they're not entirely the same story, so to speak. Um, the movie has Faith, who's kind of the protagonist in the movie. She's the centerfold. Um, and then you have Christian, and then you have Vincent. Christian is a character that represents the goodness, and you have Vincent, who kind of represents the evil darkness side. In my original story, I, I wrote it where, um, first off, I'm an old school kind of person. I love classic horror uh, very much. Don't get me wrong. I love all horror, but when you start asking me some of my favorite movies, it goes back from the early 1900s, mostly through the late 1970s, or some of my absolute favorite horror films. So in my head, this film is black and white. Uh, my bad guy is not as sinister looking as Vincent turned out, but much more of a kind of like Rod Serling, Humphrey Bogart, a very sly devilish character where the evil is more on the inside than the outside and so the reason i had wrote the story um and then the basis for the film is you know depression kind of gets to everybody right and some people they have it a lot harder than others and some people just can't handle certain things and what i wanted to do was kind of put that person in the spotlight to represent kind of the one feeling that everybody knows that they get sometimes and that's what do you do when you feel like a decision can't has to be made and you just don't have the power to make it and things on the outside manip manipulate you know your decision i guess is the best way to say that and so i did the whole angel devil aspect you know one on each shoulder type mentality feeling of you know i'm going to tell you why you should and shouldn't the other side i'm going to tell you why you should and shouldn't and in the end you make the decision but we both know that darkness does not play fair so is that why the ending, at least in the film version, is is that very similar to how Faith kind of meets her demise? Yeah, I mean, it's not far from by any means. Uh, my story, when I had wrote it, it does uh, – it kind of shows a different cider uh, – cider, <laughs> a different side <laughs> of the bad guy. It's late, okay? <laughs> and, no, I understand. Um, I'm drinking Monster Energy, though. I'm good. Um, I wanted uh, you know, a bad guy that was kind of like – very sly, very quirky, you know, emphasis on the apple and, and just kind of, you know, sets up the death knowing what's going to happen. Like, you don't choose me, but in the end, you have no choice. And sometimes I feel like that's the answer anyway, right? There's some situations, but um, that was the idea. I wanted to keep it very dramatic. Everything I write has a lot of emotion in it, um, but then you got to implicate that very violent horror in there as well. So the, uh, at the very, very end of the film, um, whenever – spoiler, if you haven't seen it, anybody uh, – whenever Christian pops back up, that's all D. The director totally threw that one in there, which actually added a little bit to the movie. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that that character kind of just reappears to kind of laugh over the situation and that it fades out like kind of folding in behind him so that that mm -hmm. fade to black is all focused more or less like you're kind of getting enveloped into that – character and then everything's just kind of going to where ultimately it's leading faith at least that was my interpretation of it yeah no and you're, you're right there too man um you know and, and you got the main character who's faith which i mean that stands out and then you have the good character who's christian which that stands out and then you have the evil character whose name's vincent after one of my favorite actors vincent price who was a very iconic sinister type uh horror actor so you know i had a lot of fun writing it and um I'm really happy with the way the film turned out. I mean, as a writer, 
you, you submit your stories to somebody you trust and as a director you view things differently and so um it's not my exact vision but it's one that i very much appreciated i i see how d took it and really was able to make it something of his own and we formed a, a really awesome partnership with that uh we're gonna do at least one more film this year he's a super busy guy um but uh, while he's doing his thing, I'm out doing my thing. And to tell you the truth, I just can't stop writing. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned that you have a love of the classic horror films. And actually, that was a question that I had for you was like, what is the best representation of those classic films that you love? Oh, man, you know, <laughs> I, I could talk about horror movies all day, especially just some of my favorite classic films. But uh, just to show you the kind of person I am, my favorite movie of all time is the 1925 Phantom of the Opera, the silent film with Lon Chaney Sr. That is a great film. I um, I got a big 24 by 36 framed poster. It was the very first poster I invested in. Um, I just, you know, I remember back when we had cable and uh, Turner Classic Movies was running a special and um, there was a Lon Chaney marathon and I stumbled on it. And I hadn't seen silent films, uh, really. And I remember just really being captivated on these things that are lost now. Like, you know, you don't have special effects. Everybody who's in this is extremely passionate, and they're in it for a reason. And the reason shows you've got to be a good actor. You've got to be a good director. You have to have a great story. And the thing that Lon Chaney Sr. does is, I mean, he, this, this guy has managed to become my favorite actor and he speaks no words. You know, his performances are amazing. And, of course, that branched me out to all Lon Chaney Sr. films and then all silent films and then all just classic horror um, in general. You know, growing up, I, I loved all the, the films that you can think of, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween, and I still love them to this day. They're awesome films. But, man, there's there's just something about a classic movie that just takes me back to a different time. And... um I wish, I wish, as corny as it sounds, that some of those movies could be made again today. Now, not like a remake of those movies, but I wish that that style could come back, even if it was for a short time, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Bela Lugosi is one of my favorite oh. horror actors. Just because the guy, you could look in his eyes and you'd be scared shitless by just staring at him. Uh, that was my grandmother's and my grandfather who it was all enveloped in classic horror. And that kind of brought me into the genre. Like we used to spend the night over there and I'd be, you know, seven, eight years old and we'd be watching classic horror with them. Uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon is probably my favorite horror movie of all time. Uh, and I, I just watched it this last year and I'm still amazed by how well it's put together, even though the acting's maybe a little more stiff than current day, just because what we're used to watching when we see film. But the the way the story's uh, developed and even the, the practicality of the suit. And it's one of the reasons why I love independent and sometimes what some people would call horrible horror movies is because there are a lot more practical effects that go on with it and it makes you kind of draws you closer into that film than something that would be a big budget horror movie yeah i'm right there with you i feel like cgi has become one of the mortal enemies of horror because it's such an easy way out and honest to truth i think i would rather see no death scene than see a cgi death scene i completely agree with that i'm also of the i, I like a little more of the suspense stuff that that does come out now. So 
I, I my biggest problem has always been with the modern horror movie is that by the time that you see if there's a, a monster or something supernatural involved, by the time you see it, the movie no longer becomes scary. It just becomes something that they can play with. That there's we're gonna try to show the monster, especially if they show it really early. Um, you know, I, I like those ones that kind of just kind of fuck with your head for a long time and don't give you that release until the final act of the movie and you can still be afraid of what's there but it seems like a lot of these at least bigger budget films they introduce you to whatever the the what we might call it like the enemy of the film way way too early and it just kind of draws you out of that experience again yeah yeah you're 100 percent right man um and also just before i forget uh, I'm right there with you. When it comes down to those universal classics, the 1954 creature from the Black Lagoon steals it for me as well. Um, I remember seeing that. Um, they put it on Netflix like, uh, oh, geez, when, when Netflix didn't suck. It, it was like four <laughs> or five years ago, and they had it in HD. And that was the first time I'd seen a black and white horror film um, restored in HD, and it was beautiful. Oh, and yeah. and I, I literally was like, oh, my gosh, like it's almost like watching it for the first time. Oh, I, and- I rented it from uh, Amazon Instant because uh, I was just like I, I every Halloween I try to watch one classic horror film. And I'm like this year I haven't seen it in a while. And it's absolutely beautiful, even in the black and white and even the, the set design and the costumes. They're fantastic. And it's something that I kind of wish was still around today. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it may come off kind of hokey and corny to some people um, who are just haven't been bitten by that classic horror bug yet. But I mean, bring back, you know, um, the horror host and hostesses. You know, I know you still got Sven Gulli out there doing doing the thing, which is awesome uh, over in Chicago and whatnot. But uh, I just think it'd be such a good time to kick back and, and see, you know, so, some people, you know, they're they're doing black and white again and that's really cool to see um there's a few horror movies that were that were in black and white that i thought was it was a good choice for the movie but i mean you can think about any of the classics and, and put it up to comparison i mean you say what's scarier you know like the original night of the living dead or something you can go to red box and get in color well <laughs> which one had a bigger budget sadly the red box movie which one was scarier night of the living dead because like you said it's sometimes you know it's what you don't see or at least until the end that is truly terrifying yes and and there are some cases where we can still find those diamonds in the rough um i don't know if you've seen the film uh i think it's the neon devil or the neon demon Uh, i have not but i have heard of it it was a random watch for my wife and i and it's a very slow moving film but you don't really realize how much, or at least the supernatural aspect of it, and spoiler alert, uh, and I apologize, but uh, I'm not going to give it away, but you don't really realize it to the end of the film. And it, it's more like, it seems like a character study of the main character being a young person being put into the model industry in LA in our current day. But the way that the film is, it's filmed and the way they use music as well as kind of like lighting for scenes it's absolutely amazing and it's kind of just with the subject matter in some parts terrifying at times uh and it's definitely something to look at that is is kind of more of a modern day representation of those old horror films where you don't realize that it's a horror film until it's too late 
Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I was uh, I was actually listening to a, a podcast the other day, and I think that movie made like the best of 2016, like in the top ten. It was kind of like a a movie that came out that didn't you know people didn't really know about it, and you know it ended up being pretty good. So you're the second person to say it was good. I'll definitely have to check it out now. <laughs> Yeah, I would recommend anybody out there, if you have the chance, I think it's still on Amazon Instant if you have that available to you. Um, so it, it's definitely worth uh, a quick watch. Well, it's, it's not necessarily a quick watch. It is a slow-moving film. That's the only warning I give for that film. But overall, the film is pretty amazing, especially with the reveal at the end of the last act. Okay, so with that being said, I have a recommendation for you if you haven't seen it. Uh, but I'm going to take you back. I'm going to go back to classic. Uh, in the 1950s, there was a movie called The Monolith Monsters. Have you seen it? No. It sounds familiar, but I don't believe I've seen that. It is awesome. I actually just um, rewatched it, uh, and I really fell in love with it all over again. There's not a lot to it. It's a super basic storyline, um, but it's one of those things where you watch it, and you're like, this movie just works like the script is simple. The effects are perfectly fine and it, it takes you out of your, your comfort and really just like, it takes you to a different town. You believe you're in this little town. You believe everything that's going on as crazy shit sounding as it is, is actually possible. And it takes you on a ride for a good, um, what hour and 18 minutes, which is another thing I love is I hate when horror movies are too long because oh, yeah. a lot of jumble gets mixed in there, but um, yeah, if you get a chance to see it, it's a black and white movie called The Monolith Monsters. It's um, it was directed by this uh, guy named John Sherwood, and he only did like two or three movies as a director. I think he was primarily an assistant director and producer. But um, yeah, it's a good movie, and it's one of those that you know you you could probably find it pretty easy on any of those um, services. You know, maybe Amazon, maybe um, Vudu or something like that. It definitely well, looks like it's readily available on Amazon Video. Right now. Oh, perfect. Yeah, and then when you watch it, let me know what you think, because uh, since we both share the common interest of classic movies, that, that might be a diamond in the rough for you. Definitely. How do you feel about those old, like, Roger Corman-style horror films? Oh, <laughs> so, great question. Uh, in my hand right now is uh, Fangoria magazine number 311, and on the cover, it is the Roger Corman Poe cycle. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I am extremely passionate. The only thing that equals my love for black and white horror movies in, in the retrospect of film is anything that has Edgar Allan Poe's name on it. And because Roger Corman did a crap load of Edgar Allan Poe based movies, I am all in. Um, <laughs> Vincent Price is probably my second favorite actor. So from Lon Chaney senior to Vincent Price. Oh, I adore Vincent Price. It, it, he was one that I think besides Bell Lugosi, he was one of the few men that could as a kid that could scare me in a horror film that wasn't a current gen jump scare type horror film you know just the way that he moves the way that his voice carries it's absolutely amazing and just chilling uh and it's funny because like uh house of wax when we i i've looked at the i'd never seen the current version i'd only seen the vincent price version and they they actually surprising enough to me kind of stand up on their uh, the new one stands on its own in a different way but nothing compares to what vincent price does in the original version of the film uh it, it was so hard just to even bring myself to watch that the newer version of it uh and luckily i'm kind of glad that it did because it didn't turn out as bad as i thought it was going to be uh but 
I, I just remember just like I wish I could have been in a theater to actually see some of that with the 3D for the time uh, or or like those old school um, uh, perf- like horror movies that you'd go to and they'd have people run through the audience or they'd have things shoot out at you or, you know, they would have people in the audience that were plants that would pretend to have heart attacks or like I wish I I could have been around to experience that type of horror experience uh, compared to what we kind of have now. Like it's a whole different encompassing uh, genre of a film. And a lot of those films that you can still watch nowadays, they don't hold that same effect as if you're actually able to visit one of those theaters during that time. Yeah, definitely. And and that's what I meant too about bring things back is that there was a, there was a time, you know, and I know this sounds ridiculous, but you know, people used to get dressed up to go to the movies. Like going to the movies was a big deal for a lot of people. And sure, you know, people didn't have TVs and then, you know, radios were TV and then eventually people got TV. You know, I, I get it, but it just it's similar. Like you said, I wish with a million wishes that I could go to a theater and see some of the greatest movies ever made play. Now, fortunate enough, you know, some, some of these theaters are bringing back some of the, uh, you know, for one time only type deals. And um, believe it or not, a couple of years ago, there was a theater out in Richardson because I'm down in Texas and they actually played Creature from the Black Lagoon in HD in 3D. So I took my son and we went oh, and saw wow. it with the 3D glasses on and it was phenomenal. We were sitting there, you know, eating wing- boneless wings and watching Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. It was great. But the one thing that's not there is you're right. Um all the gimmicks that like uh, William Castle used to do with the Tingler and, you know, um, oh hell, what's the other one? The um, House on Haunted Hill and everything yes. like that. Oh, that'd be so cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish, even if they would just do it for, you know, they would have a theater that they would be able to take it over for one night. Like if I, if I had my way and I had the money to do that for one night, I would love to bring it back and just get as many people as I could to have that similar experience that generations before were able to have uh here i'm in the the san francisco bay area and there is a theater in oakland uh called the paramount theater and the paramount every month they run a classic movie and it's the old art deco style theater with the organ and every once in a while you get a horror movie uh and it's amazing because they play the soundtrack on the organ before the movie starts uh and it's something that uh They've, they've kind of gone more into the 80s now, but when I was growing up as a kid, it was 50s, 60s, and 70s films uh, all shown on this gigantic Art Deco-style screen, and it just made you feel like you were back uh, in, in that time. And I wish they had done more, more of the horror uh, than just some of the regular classic movies that we've seen before. Yeah, that that would definitely be a lot of fun. I wish there was something here that was, you know, had the old organ pipes and everything. Um, one thing that was cool I did probably two years ago, there was a uh, – I don't know what it was. It's just this theater house down in, like, Dallas, and, and um, I guess a local college was kind of hosting it, and I got to watch Metropolis on the big screen while the College Symphony played – the whole time oh that sounds Live. so amazing and it was epic and i know it sounds like man we, like, we need to go to texas like no this doesn't happen all the time <laughs> i just googled my ass off until i found something to do and uh luckily i didn't miss those opportunities um 
but yeah, man, I, I, I'm with you. I think one of my dreams would be, you know, like win the lotto, build or buy out a movie theater and be old movies only. And that would just, that I could die happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it made no money, <laughs> just, it would be fun. Yeah, no, that, that would actually be an excellent dream to have. Uh, you know, my, my passions would be a mix of that and it being a concert hall to be able to allow any independent band to come through and, and do what they want or do a combo, show a classic horror film and bring in some, uh, you know, whether it's metal or rock or whatever it is to, to come through and perform alongside it would actually be kind of fun to do. Um, now getting into kind of the theme with my podcast, what is a movie, a horror movie that you hate that you love? Movie that I hate that I love. Yeah, something that uh, maybe is so cheesy or so, but like you can't you can't stop watching that film whenever it comes on. Okay, uh, first movie that comes to my head is a horror movie that came out um, probably in the like mid '90s. I don't know the year exact, but it's called A Clown at Midnight. Have you heard of it? No, that's new to me. It's uh, I think it's still on Hulu. It's one of those out of print DVDs that probably cost you a little bit of money to get if you tried to buy it. So I'd say stream it on Hulu or Amazon if you can find it. But uh, I think Christopher Plummer is in it. But um, it, it's just a it's a B movie from shit for real. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's just it open and, I, and I'll give no spoiler. But the concept is it opens up with an opera. And uh, the main character is, you know, the opera singer lady and opposite of her is the clown who's in love with her, but she's in love with someone else type deal. And in reality, it's an actual crush that that goes south and there's a murder that happens. Fast forward to the present day and her daughter has grown up now and her school has to go and kind of like reopen the opera house, you know, the place where her mother was killed. And so she's facing living that fear, you know, you know, facing it, I guess. And um, you can see this coming. So, like, you know, you got the eight people in the class who are doing this class project of cleaning up the opera house and getting it prepared for opening weekend. And surprise, surprise, the same killer clown shows up and starts murder, murdering them off in the opera house. Um, it, it's a movie that probably has the lowest ratings ever, but it is just <laughs> such a damn good time. It is a lot of fun if you get a chance to watch it. That definitely sounds something that I need to check out. I'm always up for suggestions doing something new with the podcast, especially finding movies that people necessarily haven't talked about. Uh, so, like, for the longest time, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Patton Oswalt's uh, comedy, uh, but he has that joke about Deathbed, the bed that eats, that, that out of all the movies that could possibly be made in the world, somebody came up with the idea of a bed that eats people. Um and I always thought the movie was kind of a joke until I found out the movie was real. And so about two years ago for this podcast, I decided to watch it. And my God, uh, is it everything that he talked about uh, in the bit? Uh, from the way that it's designed to the ADR that's used to things just not syncing up right. But here's somebody that that made this movie literally about a bed that just dissolves people into skeletons. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, was that the one what uh, Stuart Gordon did? Is that the deathbed that we're talking about? I, 
It might be. I would have to look I know I've up. seen a movie called Deathbed, and maybe there's only one. I mean, heaven forbid if there's more than one. So, <laughs> but, so there uh, was one from uh, Deathbed. It was 2002. This one's from actually from 1977, and is oh. it's from George Barry. And he's the writer and the director, and it's the only movie he's ever done. Oh, no, then I don't know what this is. Maybe Stuart Gordon's is a remake or something. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not it's not very long. It's only about an hour, maybe 20 minutes. Um but it does definitely feel like it's a lot longer than that. Uh, but it's it's weird because the, the bed itself has its own monologue when it's talking about getting <laughs> ready to kill people and it talks about its past. Uh, but it's really somebody that's kind of trapped along with the bed was what you find out. Spoiler alert. Uh, but it's it's just so odd in general. And it's such a fantastically horrible movie. Um that it's it's worth at least one watch, uh, if you can can make it through. Uh, that's that's the only caveat I have for the for that film is that it's so it, it's really slow. It's like one of the slowest movies I think that I've seen. Uh, but it's worth it if you can finish it all the way to the end because there's some pretty wacky scenes uh, in the film. Yeah, I don't I don't mind slow movies as long as they end right. Like, you know, if I don't feel like I spent an hour and a half for this, but if I'm like, man, you know, that drug for like an hour, but that last 30 minutes just did not let me go. It was great that it's not a problem. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. If the payoff's worth it at the end, then it's, you know, a lot of the time that you've wasted, I don't want to necessarily waste, but that you've spent watching the film, uh, definitely it makes it kind of worth it to get to that conclusion. Uh, what would you say is like a, a current horror film, maybe within the last like five to 10 years that you would recommend to people? Oh man. Uh, well, if we're talking about popular movies, um, this might sound crazy, but I'm really digging the stuff that Lee Wannell and James Wan are doing. So of course they got popular by Saul, which started as an eight minute short film for those who don't know. Um, but man, like everything they do with Conjuring and Insidious and Dead Silence and stuff, I, it almost touches on the old school horror because they they scare the crap out of you and the music is amazing. So Dead- I would I would say definitely anybody you know who's wondering should they try out the movies? Yeah, if you haven't seen Insidious or Conjuring, definitely watch them. If you hate the first one, don't watch the second ones of them. Don't waste your time. But I feel like. With those movies, you can't go wrong. Dead Silence is definitely one of my guilty pleasures. Uh, I there's just something about that film. There's there's a lot of really kind of ridiculous aspects to it, but I remember it being seeing it in the theaters and being one of the few modern horrors that actually kind of scared me, just the way that things were set up. Uh, and I still think it's a, a little ridiculous, but it's so much fun that it's one of those films that every I believe that everybody has to see just just to experience it. Yeah, it's I mean, dolls are always creepy anyway, and if you do it right, it's really creepy. And so he does good. I'm hating on James Wan a little bit though because um he's got such a great resume with the horror movies, but if you look at anything he has coming up, um directing he's kind of leaving the genre, you know, he's been focusing on Fast and Furious and Aquaman and uh, I would hate to see him stop directing horror movies. That, well, he's that would kind be of, bad. He, say he's kind of passed the buck to some of the people that have worked under him, correct? On some yeah. of the films? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, his his buddy, his partner in crime, Lee Wannell, who does a lot of the writing with him, um, he still only directed Insidious 3, but, um, you know, I, I would still love to see more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, just collaborations between them two, instead of seeing them go their separate ways. It's kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> I can understand that. That I, I definitely, I, I think the stuff outside of, saw i kind of like a little bit like i like the original saw and, and even the the that eight minute short that it spawned from but where it ended up i just it boggles my mind because <laughs> i like you had such a good villain and there was such a great twist in the very first film uh that uh, honestly at least at the time that my mind i did not see coming at all and then past that point it's just like where are we going with this? Like, there's nothing more than these elaborate traps, and I want some more substance behind the rest of the film. Does that mean you're not going to see Saw 8 this year? <laughs> I probably will. <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, if, you know, you've, if you've watched the first seven, you might as well watch the eighth, right? <laughs> that's right. It's like going to see, you know, the next Fast and the Furious, if you've been seeing, or going to see Triple X, what is it, three this weekend. Uh, if you've seen the first two, you might as well see the third. Um, but I I really like the, it's, it's hard when there's, when I like, like, especially when things become serialized, when I really like the first one and then it goes like, uh, the paranormal activity movies, that was something for me where I really, really liked the first film. Um, it, it, there was something about it that just dragged me into it, but then down the line, it just seems like okay, there's a, this, this point that it's just like, we know this is going to make us money, so we're going to just throw everything that made the first film really cool just kind of out the window. And I'm not saying that you need to do the same thing all the time. It's just very, like, I'd like to keep the same, like, the lore, don't, you're changing too much, and you're you're trying to go, especially when you go back in the past, it kills me almost every time. Like, why do we need to go backward when we can just keep perpetual? keep moving the the same lore forward yeah um and speaking of paranormal activity that kind of slipped my mind that's another guilty pleasure i do love that first movie as well i uh i still think it was extremely effective and people may say it didn't scare them but i, I guarantee anybody that you know you can't watch a movie like that with the lights on and people talking around you you really have to put yourself in the movie so um i think that first movie was just as raw as all get out. And, and I thought it was creepy and I, I loved it and I still enjoyed the series. Um, but yeah, similar to Saul, the first one was just groundbreaking and it should have kind of been left alone. Well, what I thought was cool with like the first part paranormal activity is there was a lot of tension and like, like I spoke before where you don't really see anything that's going on. So it keeps grabbing you and it keeps holding on to you. And you don't really get that release until it, 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 the perfect moment in in each time that you can get that, and then it starts grabbing you again. Like uh, for me, like with the first of the the U.S. re uh, release of the Ring, right, uh, where they they took the Japanese film Ringu and they they created Ring. I thought that did the same thing very well, where there wasn't the jump scares that were were in a lot of more modern horror at that time where a lot of times I feel that companies will use those jump scares so that it breaks you from the tension that's there. But when you, you just keep having your audience hold on, it creates more terror and it makes the movie a lot more fun. 
uh, rather than just, okay, here you go. Here's your little jump scare. And, and you start getting those constantly. And uh, it's my complaint when I, I do do a lot of the, the films for this podcast is you, you get these jump scares and it's like, okay, how many more do I need to have before it, it doesn't scare me anymore? Like, if I can see a, f- a movie that I haven't seen before and I can imagine it being in a theater and I can feel like I can be scared, it makes the movie that much more enjoyable for me. And then even with the the first going back to Paranormal Activity, that one I didn't get a chance to see in theater and I took the chance of watching it at night with no lights on and it I kept imagining, I'm like, man, there's still things here that are grabbing me and I just could imagine if I'm in a room filled with people, how much more awesome this would be. And I still really like this film, but then watching the subs- the subsequent films, it was kind of a letdown because I didn't have that same feeling. Yeah. Um, talking about the other ones. Um, did you see all the paranormal activities? I saw the second one and I believe I saw the third one, or at least I went through it and, I read through it to decide whether or not I wanted to watch it. Uh, and I can't remember which route I might've read it on Wikipedia and decided, Oh, that's not my f- for me. Uh, but I know there was, cause there's what, there's been five, right? Cause there's one that's like the ghost children or um, something. There was six. Actually. Oh, there's six. <laughs> Jesus yeah, just Christ. To, just to make it worse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that last um, one wasn't a direct to DVD. Was it? <laughs> no, that, that's the thing, man. All six of them went to theater. They, they just pulled, it's one of the highest grossing franchises out there. I think Saul is number one, but um, the reason I ask is, you know, the thing about paranormal activity is I'm a sucker for found footage movies. I'll watch them <laughs> at least once. Um, I stuck with the series. My second favorite one, though, out of all of them, obviously first being first, is number five, the marked ones. And I think out of all of them, it gets the most shit. But the reason I adored it is because it's like a completely different kind of movie. It's the first one to be like – it's it's filmed in California first off, so there you go, right? And um, – kind of like in some of the the ghettos of california or whatever i'm not from <laughs> california but they made it seem like a, a place where you, you know you don't just like walk around you know oh they're probably and, talking uh, about southern california or oakland one of the two <laughs> yeah yeah something like that for sure <laughs> but um it just it's almost like watching a different movie and then it, it, it's funny and then it builds a lot of tension and suspense and then it gets down to the nitty gritty at the end, and then you're just fully involved and invested in your characters because they spent the whole time getting you know, attached to these people. And then all hell kind of breaks loose, and then you kind of forget you're watching a paranormal activity movie. And just when that idea leaves your mind, that's when they blend it with the series. And then you're like, holy crap, like you get those those chills that are supposed to be generated, those goosebumps that – you know remind you why you're watching the movie and you're like the way they tied that in was freaking amazing and so i i i love to go see horror movies opening night when they come out not the like midnight release but like on fridays you know seven o'clock show reserve a seat or something if i can and uh it's just a a hoot of a time and you know there's a scene no spoiler here but in that movie where a person is uh hunting (laughs) i guess witches (laughs) right and uh, it's like a shotgun fest, and everybody in the crowd is just going crazy with every uh, character that's getting blown away. So it's just – it's a good time. Is there anything that you're looking forward to being released this year? Oh, yes. This year is going to be amazing. Um, there are so many um, sequels coming out to franchises that I do love. Um, 
again, Saw 8, I'm there. Uh, <laughs> Insidious Chapter 4, I'm there. Um, I think there's another Leatherface coming out, I'm there. Um, I mean, there's a, there is a handful of things that last year and this year are going to be pretty good to us, I think. Oh, are you going to be in line for Jeepers Creepers 3? Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, I'll definitely go. I mean, um, <laughs> I haven't seen a trailer. I don't know if they have a teaser out yet, but uh, I know I've seen some of the artwork on it. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's the same director and writer from the first two, right? That Victor Salvi or whatever. I believe it's supposed to be. Uh, I am... I'm interested in it. Uh, I'm a big fan of the first one. The second one, not so much. Because a lot of what made the first one cool, again, they tried to amplify it you know, with having the bus full of kids. Uh, and it, it didn't quite work. There's a couple of things in there that do work. But having it just set in one location rather than it being more of a, like a chase film, uh, I thought was kind of a mistake. Uh, but if it harkens back a little to the first one, at least from some of the production stuff that I've seen, it, it might lean that way. And I'll definitely be interested in seeing it again. Um, I think the idea of that character is really cool, especially at the time that the first one came out, we really hadn't had a monster like that come back into to cinemas. And I really attached myself to that. And it's what drove me to see the second one. And it's probably what will drive me to see the third one as well. Yeah, I remember when that came out, I was working at Blockbuster Video. And um, somehow I did not know it was a creature, right? Because I remember the trailers, there was this dude in this you know, trench coat and this hat. And he, had, he was wielding this axe and it looked awesome. And so I'm watching Jeepers Creepers at the house because we got to take movies home early. Oh, I miss video stores. But um, – <laughs> Man, I remember watching it and you know, some you're you're hundred percent right. You know, it's like cat and mouse chase the whole time and then you're only getting glimpses of this creature, um or, you know, this guy rather, but then all of a sudden trench the trench coat sheds and then the wings pop out. I remember thinking, it's a beast. <laughs> I had no idea, you know? And and that took it to a whole nother level and that kinda added even more fun into it. Oh, even the ending is one of my favorite endings to a horror film because it's and, and you know i i think it, we can say it without necessarily saying spoiler at this point because how old the movie is but yeah. the fact that he chooses justin long and you're the whole time it feels like he's going after his sister but really it's him and and the bad guy still gets away with everything i remember like not seeing that like that coming it's like that um I don't know if you've ever seen the Denzel Washington movie Fallen with John Goodman. Uh, yes, I have. I fucking love that film. And I love it because the bad guy wins uh, in yeah. that as well. Like, anytime I can get that type of ending to a horror film, uh, you'll have me, no matter how shitty the film is, I'll still be in love with your movie <laughs> at the end of it. Because you don't see it very often. It's cool when it does happen. And both, with, both of those films, that was something that just, at the time... You know, and it could have been maybe my age and naivete with that with the genre. Uh, I still absolutely love the first one, and that's what kind of ruined the second one for me because there was there was all that mystery and tension, and he he got away, and and now in this one, it's just kind of like I really don't care about the kids. I don't care about the the archetypes that you're trying to build with all the things on the bus. Uh, you know, and there isn't a, a lot of scenes with the, the creeper, 
you know, it's a couple of things here, a couple of things there, but the, the cool aspects of it are just gone. Uh, and I really hope that they, they focus on that when they do the third one. Yeah, it is ironic that he's chasing them the whole time, and instead of the pretty girl, he takes the dude with the rose on his belly. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, they, they really didn't get – you didn't care about the characters in the second one. It was kind of cool to see Justin Long play Derry for that few seconds in her visions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would love for the third one to do some of the some similar things with that. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it it was also cool to see him. There's a little like ninja star flesh thing to see the the rose tattoo on one of them uh, as the yes. call back to him. I thought that was cool. I like. I, I kind of hope again, like they do that, or it does take off from the end of the second one, and they don't try to erase some of what happened there. Or God forbid, they go back into the past before the first film uh, and do the <laughs> lead up to that because that would absolutely kill me. <laughs> Jupiter Scoopers 3, the prequel. <laughs> um, man, uh, time is flying. Uh, so is there uh, anything else that you can think about this year? Because I know like the big thing for a lot of people uh, that I've seen, and it's kind of in my wheelhouse too, because as cheesy as it was, I loved the miniseries that they did. But uh, the way that it is kind of coming up this year, um, oh, I'm not totally sold on Pennywise just yet. It looks just kind of like a, and maybe this is just the Tim Curry thing that I've got in my head that I don't want to leave. Uh, cause Tim Curry is the other guy. Uh, I'm absolutely in love with the guy's voice and anything the guy does, uh, is amazing from clue to Rocky horror picture show to it, uh, to even when he was doing a couple things with gargoyles, the old Disney cartoon, uh, absolutely just in love with the guy and it it breaks my heart that looking at what they've done with the with pennywise is i'm just not sure if i'm 100 percent in just yet even though i'll probably end up being in the theater that night it comes out yeah for sure that's another one that slipped my mind i remember reading a list of all the movies and, and you're kind of just pulling them out and reminding me uh i am very excited about it i think nobody will outdo tim curry and that's just the way it is and we'll have to always live with it um <laughs> and you know bless tim curry his health and everything and hopefully this movie can, can do some justice but one thing that did catch my eyes i noticed you know tim curry's clown was a very like birthday party clown mm-hmm. and this new version is so much more like a carny look you know yeah i agree it's there's a kind of a weirder creep factor that i get out of this versus the original like with with tim curry's clown it's it's like you said it's kind of birthday party-ish it's not totally like there's you feel uh a kind of creeping uh danger from it but without it necessarily looking like that and i think that's just the the facial expressions that tim curry can can portray Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas when I look at the current version of it, it's kind of flipped. I already have that visual representation of that creepy type of clown, uh, versus it being, maybe it could be a welcoming, uh, type of, you know, this is how it lures. I, I couldn't imagine a kid being lured into a sewer with this new clown. Like, why would you follow that? You'd be scared shitless of that thing. You know, whereas with with the original it, I could understand them being interested in least. Oh, hey, he's a funny clown with a, a balloon. I'm just going to follow him around. And then it turns out that he's not a fun clown. You know, 
Yeah, definitely. He he doesn't look inviting at all. And um, maybe it's going to be closer to the book. You know, the book was kind of dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, what, what are you going to do? You know, we need to see a trailer so we can get the feel for it because there's been tons of people. Cat, you know, Heath Ledger is a Joker. No one believed that till they saw it. You know, who knows what they're going to do? And, you know, no one thought they he'd top you know Jack Nicholson. And I'm not saying he did, but he was just as good in his own way. And maybe this new guy, you know, maybe his version of the clown will, will work for us. But um, it's going to take you know. That first one, you know, it was made for TV, so they're going to be able to get a, away with a lot more on this one. So we'll see how they do. We'll just see if we get the Stephen King trope, if they make it somehow look like some random monster. Uh, it's a lot <laughs> oh, of man. his films, man. There, there better not be a spider in this movie. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> now, kind of going on that, and I'm always interested when I, I, I don't get to talk to many people about this, but um, what is your favorite film ad- adaptation of a Stephen King story? Ooh. Uh, oh, th- okay. That's not even hard. 1976, Carrie. Ah. I love that movie. It's probably in my top 10 of all time. Sissy Spacek. It just, uh, you know, it's one that every time I watch it, I almost feel like I'm watching it for the first time because nothing else matters for that hour and a half that it's on. I, I love that movie. Have you seen the, the remake with uh, Chloe Mintz, not Chloe Mintz Plus, uh, I forget. Why am I thinking Christmas Plus right now? <laughs> Freaking super bad in my head. <laughs> uh, Chloe, what's her last name? I think it's Grace Morez or something. Grace like Morez. Yes, I know it's a three-part name. <laughs> I actually have. Um, you know, I love the original Carrie. I enjoyed the Rage Carrie too because they did make the connection. I saw the first remake that actually came out in like 2002. It went straight to DVD and it had. Uh, what is it, Angela Betis, I think is her name, the girl who played May, and she played Carrie, and she, man, she's weird, so she did a great job. Um, and then, of course, Chloe, but, you know, really, my biggest problem with the new one is uh, that girl's, uh, you know, she is not believable to be a weirdo. I can she looks like that. a cheerleader, a popular girl. I, I don't get it. <laughs> well, especially after seeing her in all those kick-ass movies, it's hard to take her into this role. Uh, and a lot, though I did like uh, how she portrayed uh, the the vampire girl and let the right one in the the oh, yeah. remake. I thought she was excellent in that film. I think both of those, the original version and the U.S. version, they're both excellent films. Uh, you know, of course, a couple things change here and there just to suit our audiences or what they think that we can take. But I thought both the the kid, uh, I can't remember the actress name that played the boy, and her. Uh, just the chemistry between them in the film and the way that she portrayed that role, I thought was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they weren't they weren't too terribly far apart, and, and that's what made them both great. You're right. What about you? What's your favorite Stephen King, or or was it it? Uh, no, it actually wasn't it. Um, I, I kind of am all over the place, like with Stephen King. I really, for some reason, like Christine. Uh, okay. It's one of my favorite Stephen King stories, and I thought they did a pretty good job. And it's weird doing the whole killer card thing to make it both scary and believable uh, on kind of you know the the weird side of things. Uh, I believe it's Sleepwalkers, which was it's not it's it's his <laughs> screenplay. It's it, as a kid, it was one of my favorite films to watch, and I still don't know why. Like if it, if I can find it on somewhere, I'll sit down and just completely watch the, from whatever part it starts at all the way to the end of it. But 
nowadays you don't really get that movie on there and you don't really i don't think society accepts incestuous relationship between cat monsters very well anymore yep. Uh, and it's a film actually I've been thinking about doing for this podcast, maybe doing like a Stephen King month and trying to figure out a couple Stephen King, uh, films or adaptations, uh, and maybe throwing in the one, um, I forget off the top of my head. I can't remember that. Oh, creep show. Uh, the one mm. part that he does where he was one of his first acting full roles where he yeah. is that guy in the, the, the farmer, uh, maybe throwing that in for fun. Um, but it, uh, it's it, Stephen King movies are always hit or miss. Either you're going to get a carry or you're going to get a shining where even though that's not quite close to the book, it's still a really well done film with the themes mm-hmm. uh, or you're going to end up with a dream catcher and having shit monsters. <laughs> right <laughs> right even yeah Dreamcatcher man had a great cast and it oh, just yeah. didn't save itself but you know i i still own it i i still watch <laughs> it once in a blue moon just because but um yeah that brings to case another point too uh another movie coming out this year i think is Stephen king adaptation aren't they doing the um oh what the hell is that thing called the uh, big series the dark tower series yes yes i am looking forward to that though I'm a little. I'm not necessarily aware. I like Idris Alba a a lot um, as an actor, but I, I in my mind, it's always been Vigo Mortensen's role to take, <laughs> and I wish they had given it to him. Uh, but uh, I like the choice of Matthew McConaughey, surprisingly, uh, as the what? Man in Black, um, and uh, we'll see where it goes. And it it kind of sounds like they might be blending the first two books together in a way, because uh, I believe they've. They might be casting Eddie for the film, or they casted Eddie for the film, and he doesn't show up until the drawing of the three. Um, and growing up, that was it. Still is. I still actually need to finish the book series, but it's was my favorite book series, and and I could not put those down. Uh, yeah, and um, those are not easy to find either. Like at a half price books used, there's always like number seven, never the first few. So. I, I think I was lucky enough to at the half price books that we have out here uh, to pick up the last two novels that I was missing, and they're still sitting on my shelf unread, waiting for me to open them up <laughs> and, and finish them. Uh, but I've got way too many movies to watch, man. <laughs> well, that's the thing about it is you know uh, there's two ways to look at it, and they both suck. And that is that uh, one it, realistically you're never going to catch up, like it's just never going to happen. And the reality is number two is that <laughs> there's like 7,000 movies made a day. You know what I mean? Just some crazy shitball number. And it's almost heartbreaking to know that one day we're not going to be here and then we're just never going to be able to watch movies again. So you get to the point where kind of like in my situation, you know, I got a full-time job and then I got all my hobbies and my responsibilities. So I cut into my sleep time a little bit so I can knock out a movie every now and then. And uh, that's another reason why I've been kind of selective lately on what I watch because I don't get enough time to watch anything. Um, But I was going to say, you just totally reminded me of another movie coming out this year, um, the reboot of the Friday the 13th series. Oh, that's right. They're doing another reboot. Yeah, it literally comes out on Friday the 13th later in the year. Oh, I I did not see the last reboot they did. Oh, really? Yeah, based on recommendations from some friends of mine. Because uh, yeah. one of the guys I know, he's a huge 
like ridiculous Jason Voorhees like drools over that character so goddamn much it's annoying uh <laughs> and uh but so he had to be there to see it and then he was totally disappointed in the way that it went yeah definitely um any diehard Jason fan will will probably turn that movie down but you know it's not great you know similar to the Nightmare on Elm Street remake like you know it's enjoyable and there's aspects of the movie that are really cool that if they could have done that before with some of the original members would have been epic. But, um, um, what was I going to say? Uh, I'm excited about it. Um, Oh, the reason you had brought that to my attention though, what you said was about them combining the dark tower movies, just a heads up, um, in the Friday, the 13th reboot that came out a few years back, the one that you haven't seen, they actually combined Friday, the 13th, one, two, and three in that movie. Oh, Okay. So it, it works out well for certain movies. So if they do the Dark Tower that way, it doesn't mean anything bad. <laughs> no, I, I just hope that they don't move the story too fast. I can understand maybe the first two books being combined because they're, at least with the Dark Tower, it feels like there's parts where there's maybe a little extra filler that could be removed. And there's definitely in some parts of the beginning of the drawing of three. But as you bring in Eddie and as you bring in, in Susanna, it's it's a lot to take over if they're going to cut the book uh before say you meet Susanna um but uh I could definitely and then the fourth book Wizard in Glass that's a weird one because that's just a whole separate story that it's weird that it's within the canon of it but it's just to give more backstory to Roland um so I I, I'm very looking forward to that that's something that I I definitely have my eyes on uh as it's probably my favorite Stephen King set of books uh, that he's written and that's basically his love letter to his universe because it connects everything together yeah and that's amazing and um yeah something funny you said there you talked about you know certain parts could be left out i've noticed that about stephen king is that man loves to write about anything in his stories and <laughs> you could be you could be on path with a storyline good to go and then you will spend like 30 pages reading about something that doesn't even matter but it, he wanted you to know about it. <laughs> I just find it hysterical. Um, that's just the way that man works, you know? Well, yeah, that's that's basically like the stand, right? I remember reading him. He was talking oh, about it. The reason that he wrote the book is he just wanted to kill a ton of people. And <laughs> here's a thousand-page book of society breaking down and the basically, you know, revelations happening and uh, the hand of God towards the end of the book. It's just like, what? the fuck what the fuck am i reasoning i can't believe i would go through a thousand pages of this and probably about six to seven hundred pages of that book could just be thrown out the fucking window and you'd have a nice concise story uh that's just more of a, a journey for for your central characters yeah not to mention uh something that is less than four vhs tapes long <laughs> <laughs> i remember staying up at night and recording those and i still have my original vhs tapes uh, recording that series at night. And I think at the time, I think the ones that my parents bought, maybe they only had like an hour or two hours of recording because it wasn't one of those like super VHS tapes where you could get, you know, maybe six to eight hours onto the tape. Uh, it was just the cheap ones that you would buy, you know, in the bargain bin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, and I noticed from your, your page, cause I know you tagged me in one <laughs> post, uh, but I, I did have this question. Like, how much of a VHS junkie are you? Because your, your I, cover photo is just VHS type tapes. Yeah, I, I, I would say I'm approaching extreme. 
<laughs> How I, extreme I, is extreme? Oh, just just a gazillion tapes, man. I'm still collecting. Like I'm not done. What's it's the pinnacle just, of your collection? What like a you talking about like a number amount? Or are you talking about like the ones that stand out? Like the one that you would say, let's say that uh, your house was gonna burn down and you could save only okay. two or three tapes. What are the ones that you would save? I know the number one tape I have to save. I have a Fangoria Weekend of Horrors 1980 convention on VHS that Holy I shit. have to grab. It has some of the it has like Rick Baker on there doing makeup and all kinds of really awesome stuff. I remember I was like, oh, I don't even know, man. I was like a 11 years old or something and I was visiting some family and I don't know where my younger cousin at the time had got that tape from. But I wanted it, and I had to have it. And I said, dude, I will do anything for this movie. And he's like, okay, uh, I dare you to strip to your boxers and go jump in the pool. And it was like super freezing cold outside. And I was like, give me the tape first. <laughs> <laughs> and, and man, I, I've watched it a few few times. Uh, and by few, I mean less than 20. Um, and, and I absolutely love it. And my life will probably crumble the day that a VCR eats one. Cause I have like eight VCRs that way when one dies, I have another one to go back to. Um, and the reason I, I do that too is, is, um, you know, I love that feeling of going back to remember being a kid and going to the, the store and grabbing some VHS tapes and, and just throwing them in. And there's just something to be said about the artwork and the boxes. They're just, the covers are so much more badass on VHS than they are on the local Blu-rays now. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, you know, I got the flat screen on the wall and I got all the gadgets and everything and, you know, makes the family happy and we have a good time. But then when it comes down to me wanting to watch something that just I am probably going to watch, I go into my den and I still have a 1984 Philco tube TV uh, hooked up, um, you know, with the VCR and everything around it. You turn it on, the remote's like the size of a calculator and the tube goes boom and you can put your hand on the front and all the static comes out. (laughs) It just reminds me of being that little kid that ate Domino's pizza and watched tapes until he passed out. And then, you know, just that's what life was for me, you know? Yeah. so. I was yeah. saying I I miss those days of the video store and and I had a little conversation with some of before, but like being able to go it was our favorite thing I remember with my buddies and I was to go into either a blockbuster or a Hollywood video and just walk up and down the aisles and even when I met my wife when we were first dating that's what we would do and that's where I, I we share the same love of of these horror movies that you just find the random ones the the cooler the case looks. The worst yep. the film's going to be, but I didn't <laughs> care. You know, that's how I ended up with a, a full moon collection here at the house. Was oh, a man. lot of the full moon stuff. Their their artwork is fucking badass, but those films are awful. <laughs> so, um, not sure how long you want your podcast to go because I'll tell you right now, I could talk forever. Um, full moon opens up a whole nother window for me. I um, what had happened? I somehow had, was heard about Charles Band. The guy mm-hmm. that does all the uh, the stuff with Full Moon, doing a horror roadshow, and he was passing through somewhere in Dallas, and so I drove down there and met his brother, who was standing outside the place. His brother, I forgot his first name, but he's a magician. Go figure, right? <laughs> and uh, his name was the Great Bandini, you know. And <laughs> he actually gave me tickets to get into the roadshow if I agreed to hire him for like a kid's birthday party or something. And as kind of weird as that sounds now, I was like, hell yeah. And so I remember going into there and getting to kind of meet Charles band and see his, um, 
the stuff he brought on stage and everything. And that really, that really got me into um, Castle Freak, which was kind of a fun movie because Jeffrey Combs is awesome. Yeah, I there's two people that I would love to meet in terms of that world is is Charles Band. If I ever got the chance, it'd be really really cool because I I like the cheesy things. Like we're we're big Puppet Master fans. Uh, yep. It doesn't matter which one is between Blood Dolls or Puppet Master versus the Axis of Evil or any of the, the numbered series. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, to meet Lloyd Kaufman would be my second like horror icon that I would love to just see. even if I only got to say two words to the guy like you're cool or give a Chris Farley type of interview. So uh, you made Toxic Avenger, right? That's cool, man. You know, <laughs> that would be totally awesome to me. I fucking love trauma because I love trauma, the, the idea that they put into every one of their films, which we're independent. We're going to do what the hell we want. And we're still producing the films the exact same way we did way back in the 80s. And I believe late 70s that we're still doing today. They still have the same type of production values, the, the same special effects guys everything's basically practical and it's they're so out there and so ridiculous to watch some of these films uh but they're so much fun to watch and just to like just to hear the guy talk it's like hearing mel brooks talk i I could listen to him talk forever too but like hearing him just even discuss what is the way that his ideas for trauma came i I would freaking melt in my chair yeah that that would truly be awesome and you're right. There's just there's something to be said about the way that they were like, you know, screw you. This may suck, but it's our vision and we're not changing it. And that's why like Troll 2 is still like a $100 VHS tape. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you try to buy it on eBay. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It goes back to um kind of what you what you do, man, you know, the the terrible terrifying great movies, you know. <laughs> and it, it, sometimes they're uh terrible terrible and sometimes they're terrible fantastic. Uh, and it, it's, it, it is truly the reason why, I mean, it, a lot of it, again, it actually has to do with, uh, one with my childhood and one with my wife and, uh, you know, just the enjoyment that I still get out of it and, and those nostalgic memories of some of these films, uh, it, especially if, if I've seen it before, then it's, it's cool to go and, and reminisce and, and imagine when, or, or relive that time that I saw the film or if it's something that I missed from my childhood because I w- either wasn't allowed to watch it or I just wasn't in that mind frame for that film set. It's cool to go back there and see those uh, those thoughts like the old the old canon films. Their horror films are hit or miss. Uh, and there are a lot of those films that I never got to see. Uh, and now going back and, and seeing some of them, it's just like, okay, I can see where some of the appeal is here and what that film company did to kind of progress part of the horror genre uh, as well as some of the sci-fi genre when they, they were mixing something, something like Life Force, where it's that that mixture of horror and sci-fi that they're not quite either. <laughs> they don't really meet in the middle. They're kind of far from each other. Um, but it's still a, a, an enjoyable film to watch and something that I wish I hadn't missed during my youth. Speaking of movies that you may or may not have seen and missed, um, a movie that I recently watched that somehow I owned but I forgot all about it and then um, 
have you have you seen that I do the VHS battles? Yes, I've I've seen a couple of them uh, that you've posted. Okay, I, I posted one uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Uh, I did when a stranger calls versus it's alive, and I knew that everybody was going to go with the classic when a stranger calls. It totally, you know, sets some standards for rules in, in some of these horror movies, and like ninety percent went with it's alive. And I hadn't seen It's Alive at the time. So I was like, oh my gosh, I need to watch this movie because I'm sitting on, on a gym and I don't even know it. And so I got up at like five in the morning before family got up so I could enjoy it with no interruptions. And, uh, you know, it's like pitch black dark outside. I turned that TV on and I sat through the whole thing. And, and that movie is so great. Um, they do the one thing you talked about earlier, which was great, is, you know, you know this movie's about a mutant baby. But they don't ruin it by showing you the mutant baby. You have to wait for it. And that's what makes that movie so suspenseful and awesome. That sounds like the the name is very familiar, but it's not a film that I've seen. And I, I just looked it up. Uh, and it definitely seems like this is something that I I definitely want to see now. Uh, yeah, I, it's the Larry Cohen film, correct? Because I see there yeah. is a remake of it. Uh, yes, yeah, from that. Like Heard 2007. That yeah, definitely talking about the one that uh, Larry Cohen did. He, uh, I think, he wrote, produced, and directed the thing. And um, needless to say, I'm looking for part two now because <laughs> <laughs> there there is a sequel to it out there. I got to find it. You know what's funny in in talking with uh, one of the other podcasters uh, with the last bonus episode that we did, um, he had me watch The Gate Two, uh, which I okay. never knew existed. And having to find that film, like, even if you were to find, like, a, I think I saw a VHS copy of it. It was going for close to 100 and even a DVD was, like, 60 bucks. Uh, and we both eventually found a way to watch it. Uh, but <laughs> it's it's so awkward when, when there's this film, because The Gate was almost like my... The, the first true horror movie that I loved as a kid uh, that wasn't a classic one. Uh, okay. It was something that my parents actually took my sister and I to go see. Uh, and there's there's something just nostalgic about it that I love. And then you watch The Gate 2 and you're like, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> it fell apart. <laughs> and it even has some of the characters. Well, it has one of the characters from the original one. But I, I was so amazed at how hard like sequels to some of these older either cult classics or because uh, I like talk, going back to the video store thing, I remember you could just walk in and there were so many movies, like especially in the horror sections, you could find almost anything out there. And that, that how I, I could not run across the gate two the entire time that I had spent in, in these video stores is just boggles my mind completely. Yeah, it seems to be one of those movies that just kind of fell through the cracks. You know, maybe it did come out and nobody rented it. So it quickly left, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, that, that's another sad thing, man, is the horror genre to us. It's like huge. It's great. And it'll always be there. But if you walk into any store that sells movies, it's like the smallest section in the store. It's depressing. Yeah, I agree. I, even though kind of the way that a lot of the streaming services have gone, um, there are surprisingly huge libraries of horror films on a lot of them. Uh, and they're kind of, to me, like the new video store. You know, I can just log on to that. Uh, either I can go through Amazon or Hulu or Netflix. Uh, and there's always 
a huge selection of films that either but it, it's still not quite where i want it to be like i i like a lot of the, the classics to be in in some locations or a lot more indie uh but it's still that that same kind of nostalgia feeling of okay i just want to watch something random instead of going into something like a you know a best buy or even a target or a walmart and looking at their horror section and it's two shelves and yep. you're like what the fuck yeah um i know i made a joke kind of hash it is what it is i mean it's ten thousand titles you know at yeah. your fingertips so who can really complain but um i do enjoy watching some of the uh, ifc stuff the uh, independent film channel horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, you see a lot of young people's passion going into that. And it's, it's really great to know that the spirit's not dead and that there's people out there who grew up loving this stuff and, and they were talented enough to, to put it together uh, no matter what part of the crew they're on to just kind of keep it alive. And um, that's what it is about, you know, independent. That's why I write. That's why I seek out new filmmakers all the time that I could collaborate with is that um, I want to be able to look back and be like, you know, I spent a shit ton of money watching movies and buying movies. And I turned around and I even wrote a few of them, but in the end, damn, I had fun, you know, <laughs> that's truly what it's all about. Right. And it's one of the reasons why I love the genre. Cause I get the most fun out of watching these films. Uh, I like the artsy stuff. I like the action stuff and some of the sci-fi, but horror really it, that's kind of what drives me and I, I no matter if it's like if I watch a bad sci-fi movie I can groan I can do whatever but it's just something about a horror movie whether it's good or bad I can find enjoyment out of it unless of course it's a huge stinker which nowadays it <laughs> it, it seems it's far and few between that you find anything that that is completely unwatchable yeah, they they, uh, they get tricky, man. Similar to how the, the, they used to advertise, like you said, on the cover. You know, a good cover means a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll they'll take a a movie now, and you'll see the trailer, and you're like, "Oh, that looks awesome." And then the movie's crap. But then you're like, "Yeah, but that decapitation scene was pretty brutal." You know, there's always yeah. something in there that stands out that you can converse about. <laughs> well, uh, I think we're kind of reaching the end of our time, so. If you'd, uh, where can people find your, your works at? If you have anything online that people can read your stories? Uh, yeah, the, the best way really is, um, my Twitter account. That's kind of where I live and breathe right now. So if anybody wants to check out what I'm up to, um, see my VHS battles, see films that I'm participating in, um, it's at Phantom Dark Dave or at Phantom Theories. And then um, I'm also a part of the uh, B Movie Brothers podcast where we talk about a lot of random shit as well. So I'm always out there. Uh, podcasting is like the greatest thing in the world to do because I love talking about horror. And the only difference is now there's a record button. So, yeah, <laughs> anybody that wants to just stay connected, just, you know, at Phantom Dark Dave, I would love to, to uh, be followed by you and I will follow you. And then you can uh, step into the mind of the Phantom. And I would suggest that everybody check out the the film representation of uh, Dave's story, uh, Scars, uh, that's available on YouTube. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. It was a little cheesy, but I liked a lot of the aspects of it. And I did like the story that was kind of built in uh, through that film. So... Uh, I do appreciate that you came on the podcast and we had this nice long discussion. Oh yeah, man, definitely. And thank you so much for having me. Definitely stay in touch with me. And uh, if you ever want to do anything again, just let me know. 
Perfect. All right, thanks, everybody, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.